Good morning and welcome to our live stream for May 10th. I'm glad we get to gather electronically, even if we can't gather face to face. Uh, speaking of which, if you received an email uh, asking you to participate in a survey uh, on our thoughts for what it's going to look like when we do gather together again, uh, and you haven't yet responded to that, please do so. Uh, we'd really like your feedback so we can adjust our plans and, and make them the best we can. And I want to say Happy Mother's Day to all you moms tuning in. Um, my wife and I just had the privilege of uh, um, experiencing our son and uh, daughter-in-law giving birth to our second grandchild this last week. So we're super excited about that. And I was reminded in that whole process uh, of just what an amazing, awesome thing motherhood is. You know, carrying that child, giving birth to that child, nurturing that child. Moms, uh, motherhood is an awesome calling from God. And I hope today you are feeling appreciated and don't let anybody ever make you feel like uh, being a mom is less important than, than something else. It's really great. So happy Mother's Day to you. And uh, we're going to spend some time together uh, with some worship music and some time in God's Word. want to encourage you to make this part of a larger worship experience in, in your home with those you're with. Um, just click on some of the links for the songs that are there. Uh, have some prayer time together. Uh, do a time of offering. Just make the most of this opportunity. So right now I'm going to pray and then we're going to uh, do some worship songs together. Why don't you pray with me? Gracious Father, thank you for this new day, and thank you for all of your good gifts, and we especially want to thank you for the gifts of our gift of our moms today, and pray for each one of them that they would be encouraged, they would be strengthened, those who are feeling weary, uh, Lord, you would renew their strength as they turn to you. And Father, as we now want to turn our attention to you and draw near to you, we pray by your Spirit you will um, do that in our hearts and our minds. Lord, help us be aware of your presence. Help us give you uh, the honor and the glory and the love that you are worthy of. So thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. tries to roll over my bones when sorrow comes to steal the joy I own when brokenness and pain are all I know well I won't be shaken I won't be shaken cause my fear doesn't Stand a chance when I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love Well, shame no longer has a place to hide Captive to the lies I'm not afraid to leave my past behind No, I won't be shaken I won't be shaken Cause my fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance When I Power that 
can break off every chain. There is power that can empty out a grave. There is resurrection power that can save. There's power in your name. Power in your name. Because my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. In your No 
All his children, clean hands, pure hearts, good grace, good God. His name is Jesus. And people come together. People come together. Strangers, neighbors, our blood is one. Children of generations of every nation of kingdom come. Well, today, as promised, we're returning to our journey through the book of Hebrews, uh, this very Big book filled with truth about Jesus and especially about his greatness. That's really the, the big message of the book is that Jesus, the Son of God, is far greater than anyone or anything else. And because he is, then you and I ought to pay closer attention to him than we pay to anyone or anything else. Uh, we ought to value his opinions, his instructions, his words more than we value those of, of anybody else. Uh, because he's greater. He's greater than angels, greater than Moses, greater than the prophets, the kings, the priests, uh, greater than anyone who came before him and anyone that's come after him. Now, if, if you're new to the book of Hebrews, uh, just a word about uh, those people to whom it was first written. Uh, they were Jewish people who had come to believe that Jesus was the one promised uh, by the prophets and pointed to by all of the um, symbolism there in, in their uh, scripture and their, their rituals, that Jesus was indeed the Messiah that God promised to come and uh, rescue them and rule over them. But now, apparently, these, these Jewish believers were beginning to experience some heat. They were taking heat from their countrymen who did not share that belief in Jesus as Messiah and who were apparently saying to them something along the lines of, hey, would you guys just back off on the Jesus thing? You know, that, that's just controversial, that's causing problems. Why don't we focus instead on, on what we can all agree on? You know, like, like how great angels are, or how great Moses is, or the temple, the sacrifices, and those kinds of things. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, no. No, you can't do that. You can't go back. Because God sent His Son to fulfill and surpass all of those things. So He must be our focus. And then He's just giving us reason after reason for why that's true. And so today we're coming to Hebrews chapter 4. And just to kind of set the context here, the author has just been reminding his readers about that first generation of Israelites who came out of Egypt, how God had sent Moses to them in answer to their prayers, in answer to the fulfillment of his promises that, that Moses would uh, rescue them that God would rescue them through Moses and, and miracles through him and bring them out of Egypt and lead them into the promised land, the, the land that God had promised to give to them. And yet that first generation did not go in. They didn't go into the land that God had promised them. And the reason they didn't was because of unbelief. They failed to trust God. And now here in chapter 4, the writer is going to uh, tell us what we ought to learn from their experience, from their failure to enter in. So we're going to pick it up in verse 1, and I'm going to just read it. It's, it's uh, 
sizable piece, so hang in there, and I'll share some comments along the way, and uh, there'll be some verses that we just don't have time to interact with today, but we'll start in verse 1. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest, that is, entering God's rest, being at peace with him, being right with him, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. Notice that word. We'll come back to it. Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. That is, failed to enter God's rest like those Israelites failed to enter the promised land. For good news, gospel came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. They heard the good news, but it didn't benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So they heard it, but they did not respond in faith. Verse 3, For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Let's jump ahead to verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Okay, let's pause here and just be sure we understand what sort of disobedience he's talking about. Uh, The end of chapter 3 had made this very clear. Verses 18 and 19, it says, To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So they were disobedient. And then he goes on and explains what he means by that. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Unbelief is the kind of disobedience he's referring to. Uh, The reason these people were disobedient was because they did not believe God. So that's important because that tells us that genuine faith is not simply keeping the rules. It's trusting God, and because you trust Him, you do what He says. And now to verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word exposes the very thoughts and intentions that we have inside. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So the point of these words is to stress how important it is that we take seriously what God has said, because each one of us is going to give an account. Each one of us is going to answer to God for how we have lived in light of all that he has told us. Uh, This is like a, a teacher saying, hey, listen up. Because this is going to be on the final exam. All right? You need to pay attention. So verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. That is, our profession of faith in Jesus as the Son of God. Let's hold fast to our faith. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, God's throne, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As I read this again, I'm just reminded there is so much good stuff here we could look at. But I want to draw your attention to two commands. One at the very beginning of the section, this section in verse 1, 
and then the other at the very end in verse 16. And how to understand these two commands, because when you first look at them, it seems like they don't fit together. So verse 1, we have this command. Let us fear. Let us be afraid. And then in verse 16, we have the command, let us with confidence draw near. So we're being told that God wants us to fear, and we're being told that God wants us to have confidence to draw near. Now, how do those two things fit together? It seems kind of like they don't. How are we to understand this, that God wants us to fear and that God wants us to have confidence and draw near? You know, generally speaking, if you think about it, fear is something that tends to keep us away. So, you know, if I'm out hiking in the woods and I see a bear, I can tell you I'm not going to draw near. In fact, I'm going to run the other way. You know, I'm not going to have confidence to get close. And you think about the pandemic that we're in right now, this COVID-19 thing. Uh, What's it doing? It's keeping us from drawing near to one another. And why is that? Because there's a fear. There's a fear of spreading the sickness. And even if we personally aren't afraid of getting it, well, we don't want to give it to somebody else who's vulnerable. So fear tends to create distance. It tends to create separation. On the other hand, drawing near with confidence, well, that sounds like the opposite of fear. So picture a young child, and it's Mother's Day, and he wants to go greet his mom. What does he do? He goes running up toward her, and he's confident that he's going to be welcomed enthusiastically. He's going to be embraced and loved. So, It sounds like these two commands are in conflict. There's a tension here. Let us fear. Let us draw near with confidence. So I want to think about this and see how these two truths that are in tension can actually help us know God better. Now on one level, being afraid of getting close to God makes sense. Because he is absolutely holy, and we, on our own, are not. Uh, God is perfectly good in every respect. He is utterly opposed to anything evil. And we, on the other hand, are all too familiar with evil, and we're not perfectly good. And if we're honest... Most of us realize that we have repeatedly dishonored God. We have violated his standards of perfect love and goodness. Uh, We reject his directions. We ignore his wisdom. We neglect his gifts. And worst of all, we value other things more than we value him. And this is what Romans 3.23 means when it says, For all, everybody, everybody has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is this massive gulf between God's glory and our sin. And Scripture gives us many glimpses of this. There's one in Isaiah chapter 6. The prophet Isaiah experiences a vision of God in his throne room, in his temple. And Isaiah hears angels, the angels surrounding God's throne. He hears them cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. 
And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. It's this awesome scene. And then we see Isaiah's response. And I said, woe is me. I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See what he's saying? He's saying, wow. God is holy, and I'm not. I shouldn't be anywhere near Him. There's fear there. Or if you think about when Adam and Eve rejected God's goodness and rebelled against Him, and what did they do when the presence of God appeared and drew near to them? What did they do? They ran and hid. They were afraid. And see, that's how we naturally respond. Whenever we encounter, whenever we get a fresh understanding of who God is and how holy He is, we tend to respond with fear. So it's understandable if we know anything about God's holiness and about our sinfulness that our first thought of drawing near to him would be like drawing near to a grizzly bear. We'd say, uh, no, I'm going to stand way, way over here. But if that's all we believe about God, we are ignoring so much of what he has told us. We're ignoring so much about what he has done. And we've actually missed the main thing that God wants us to know. I mean, the main message of the Bible, okay, the heart of the Bible is not that simply that God is holy and we're separated from him because of our sin, so you better stay away from him so he doesn't destroy you. That's not it. That's not the heart of the Bible. That's not the main message. The main message is about all that God has done to overcome that separation and make it possible for us to draw near to Him. He actually makes us holy. And then we can draw near and experience His amazing love. And we can begin to reflect His goodness to the world. That's the main story. That's the big, you know, the big thing, the good news. And it's all through the Bible. It's why God chose a man named Abraham and gave him a promise that God would bless him and he would ultimately bless all the nations of the world through his descendants. And it's why then, God rescued those descendants, the Israelites, from their slavery in Egypt and brought them into the promised land. And it's why God had those Israelites build a tabernacle, a portable temple, and then later a permanent temple. And why he gave them priests and a system of sacrifices. It was so that they could know him and draw near to him. And they could have... His presence actually dwell in their midst so they could be transformed by His presence. And, and why did God want that? Why did God want His presence to be able to dwell in the midst of these people? It was so that by them knowing Him, by them experiencing drawing near to Him, that ultimately the whole world could see who he really is, and they too could draw near to him. And we see this in Psalm 67, where the psalm writer says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. So here's an Israelite praying, May God be gracious to us and bless us, make his face shine upon us. Why? So that your ways, O God, may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations.
So see, we really miss it. We really miss it if we think of the temple and the priests and the sacrifices and all those other rituals. We miss it if we think of those as just a bunch of demands that God gave people because he's mad. And they've got to meet all these demands in order to earn their salvation and keep God from destroying them. That is not it. No, all of that, the, the temple, the priests, the sacrifices, all of that was God providing what they needed so that they could draw near to Him in faith. Even though He's holy and they aren't. He provided all of those things as a remedy for their sin because He wanted them to draw near to Him. And of course, the ultimate fulfillment of all of this was God sending His Son, Jesus, to solve our sin problem finally once and for all. Jesus fulfilled all of the laws, all of the sacrifices, all of the symbols and prophecies that pointed ahead to Him. And so this brings us to Jesus being described as our great high priest. Look again at verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, if, if you don't know what it means that Jesus is our great high priest, then this truth won't be nearly as powerful and as encouraging as God intends for it to be. And, and this is why we need to become familiar with our Old Testaments. Uh, because the New Testament constantly uses Old Testament things to explain who Jesus is and what he has done and what he will do for us. So in Old Testament times, a priest was a mediator between ordinary people and God. He was a go-between. And when you had an animal sacrifice to offer as your substitute, Okay, to die in your place for your sins. Then you brought that animal to a priest and the priest offered it to God on your behalf. He offered it for you. And these priests had special qualifications and they followed special rules in order to represent you to God and help you to run near to Him because God is holy. And so... This was all to allow you to draw near, as near as you could get, by going to the temple. Now, the high priest was even more special because he alone, he was the only person who could go into the most sacred part of the temple, that part called the Holy of Holies, where God's very presence was manifested like nowhere else on earth. So he was the one who could draw nearest to God on the behalf of the people. But he could only go in there once a year on the Day of Atonement and just for a very brief time and only after making very careful, very special sacrifices for his own sin. And then he went in and he represented all of the people before God and made atonement for their sins. Why? So that God could continue to dwell, a holy God, in the midst of this people so that they could experience his nearness. God would dwell among them. Okay, but now all of that has changed. Because Jesus has come. The Son of God has come to be our great high priest. And now we no longer need any priest at all. 
to draw near to God for us, Jesus has made the perfect sacrifice for our sins in himself. His own offering of himself on the cross once for all time to solve our sin problem and to permanently bridge the gap between us and God. And we're going to see this explained in in a lot more detail uh, later in Hebrews. But right now, the point to get is this. Because of Jesus, the ultimate high priest, the great high priest, for everyone who trusts him, anyone and everyone who trusts him, because of what he's done through his sacrificial death in our place for our sins, so what he's done And because of who he is, because of what he's like, because he completely understands all of our temptations, all of our weaknesses, but he never sinned because of what he did, because of who he is, we should be free of fear and with confidence draw near to God's throne of grace. This is the good news. This is the good news. That in His Son, God has taken away the sin of those who trust Him so that we can draw near to Him anytime. In fact, I'll say it even stronger. It's not just that we can. We must. We must draw near to Him without fear. When verse 16 says, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that's not a suggestion. That's a command. Okay, so now back all the way up to verse 1, when it says, let us fear, what's it talking about? Well, it's not talking about the fear of getting close to God. It's actually talking about the opposite. The fear of staying away. The fear of drifting away. The fear of leaving and going away. Not only should we not be afraid to draw near to God, we should be afraid not to. That's what this is saying. Because that kind of fear would be unbelief. And remember, the Israelites who didn't enter the promised land, well, they failed. They didn't experience God's rest because of unbelief. We're told that very specifically. So it's really important to understand what unbelief is and what it isn't. Okay, unbelief is not an inability to believe because of a lack of evidence. You know, unbelief is, is not just having legitimate questions because you haven't seen the answers or been exposed to the answers. Now, that's not it. And we know that for one reason, because the Bible gives us all kinds of reasons to believe in Jesus. You know, uh, all of his miracles and his teaching and uh, most especially his resurrection from the dead. We are given reasons to believe. So unbelief isn't an inability to believe. You know what it is? It's a refusal to believe in spite of the evidence. And we know that from the example of the Israelites who came out of Egypt. They didn't enter because of unbelief. Okay, well, let's think about them for a minute. Uh, think about all these people had seen, all that they'd experienced. And if you're not familiar with it, I encourage you to go to the book of Exodus and read it, because you'll see it right there. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle, evidence of God's power, these plagues on the Egyptians that didn't touch them, and the parting of the Red Sea, and this manna, this stuff that would appear on the ground every morning that they could collect and make into bread so they didn't go hungry. Their unbelief was not about a lack of evidence at all. 
It was a refusal to trust God, a refusal to believe that He is good, that He would keep His promises and do good to them. They actually wanted to go back to Egypt because they didn't believe that God could actually bring them into the promised land and do good to them in spite of all they had already seen. So, why would not drawing near to God with confidence, why would that be an act of unbelief? Let's think about this. To say it another way, what would we be refusing to believe if we're afraid of getting close to God? Personalize it. If you ask yourself, are you? Are you drawing near to God? Are you drawing close to Him? Are you going to His throne of grace regularly for the help, for the mercy that you need? And if you're not, why not? What is it you might be refusing to believe? Well, if we, if we fear that Jesus will mess up our lives, spoil our fun, if we get too close well, then we're refusing to believe that He's good. We're refusing to believe that His plans for our life are better than our own. We, we're refusing to believe that He has our best interests at heart. Or maybe we're afraid that if we get, you know, if we get too close to God, there are people who will disapprove of us. Maybe we'll lose their friendship. Well, if that's the case, then we're refusing to believe that God's approval is far more valuable and far more important than anybody else's approval. Or maybe we're afraid of getting too close to Jesus because we'll, we'll get hassled. We'll get persecuted. Maybe we'll even lose our jobs. Uh, we'll experience some kind of hardship. Well, if that's the case, then we're refusing to believe that he's actually in ultimate control and that he's going to fulfill his promise to work all things, even the hard things, out for our ultimate good, for our eternal joy, an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. Or let, let's go in a very different direction for a second. What if we're afraid of, of getting close because we're afraid God won't accept us? That, that we're still too messed up and, and so we're not going to draw near. Well, if that's the case, then we're refusing to believe that Jesus really is our great high priest and that he truly does forgive us all our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. What we're really saying is that our sin is bigger than his sacrifice. We're saying, yeah, Jesus, yeah, it's cool what you did on the cross and all, but that's not enough for my sin. And see, all of these fears, they're rooted in unbelief. They're refusing to believe that Jesus is who he is, that he'll do what he said he'll do. It's, it's thinking, oh, Jesus can't help me. Or he doesn't want to help me. Or, you know, I don't really need his help. I can do better on my own. Now, believing any of those things dishonors Jesus greatly. So it's not getting close to him that we should be afraid of. It's unbelief we need to fear. Refusing to trust him. So just to sum it up, it's true. There's a kind of fear God wants us to have, but it's not the fear of getting close to Him. It's the fear of staying away from Him because we refuse to trust Jesus as our great high priest. The thing God wants us to fear 
is not drawing near. He invites us to come to his throne of grace because of Jesus, putting our trust in him. Draw near to him. The throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I know many of you are in a time of need. We all are right now. And some of us are in acute need. Some of us are really struggling because we're feeling isolated or our income has been reduced or or our job has been lost. And it's just a hard time. And God is inviting us to come with confidence to His throne of grace to receive the help we need right now. So we want to go to His throne of grace because of Jesus, confident that He will hear us. He will accept us. He will do whatever it is we need for our ultimate joy. The thing to fear is unbelief. Not going to Him. Going the other way. Trusting in ourselves. Trusting in something else instead of Him. So right now I want to pray for us and invite you to pray with me. And let's draw near to the throne of grace because of Jesus, our great high priest. Let's pray. Father, it is an awesome promise you have given to us. This this good news that we can experience your rest. That we can experience peace with you. And ultimately one day enter into your very presence and experience eternal joy. But Lord, you don't want us just, just to look forward to that. You want us to look forward to that, but you want us to experience your rest right now to the degree that we can. Lord, so you invite us to come to your throne of grace because Jesus, our great high priest, has made the final and perfect sacrifice. We can draw near. So, Father, we want, us, we want to draw near. We ask you to help us, help us in this time of pandemic and all the hardships that people are experiencing. And, Lord, help us, help us come with confidence and draw near to you often. Help us do that. We thank you for that incredible truth that we can do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, that's going to do it for this week. And uh, I hope we're able to get together face-to-face soon. Uh, But if it's not next Sunday, then we'll be here uh, doing this again. So until then, have a great week. Happy Mother's Day. And don't forget to draw near.